Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Happy Mock Day, ladies and gentlemen. September the 23rd, it's another Mock Day here on the pod. Pretty soon, not the next one, maybe the one after that, Mock Day will be replaced with Real Draft Results Day. And nothing, I tell you all, nothing is more indicative of how a draft will actually go than how a draft actually went. As far as mocks go, let me talk to you for a minute about the different kinds once again. Because, and this is why, I actually did three mocks leading up to today's podcast. I wanted to make sure I had all the ammunition I could possibly need for this Friday mock day show. Yesterday, Thursday evening, I did a mock with folks on Twitter, but I think it got kind of firebombed by randoms. Because with Yahoo, you can't just like, you can't just set up your own room. You have to go into a mock that's like six to 10 minutes away. Then you could send the link out, and a bunch of you guys did jump into that one. But that one had five auto drafters by the sixth round. And the short version of that is. Yeah, you can take a little bit away from the first three or four rounds, but effectively, you're not learning anything from that draft. Because a lot of what we're watching for in mocks now is not necessarily the order of the top 30 or 40 players. They're basically going in the same order with slight adjustments based on actual, like legitimately individual fantasy managers at this point. So you could run a thousand mocks and you can watch every first 40 in those thousand and it'll be a little bit different in probably almost every single one of them at some point you run out of combinations but you you know you'll hit a couple of repeats overall that first 40 first 35 whatever you want to call it is pretty damn predictable if you got pick 34 or whatever it is you've got a damn good idea of who roughly some five or six different guys to pick from who's going to be around At your pick. The variance at the beginning of drafts is still there. Please don't misinterpret uh, this statement as if to say it goes exactly the same every time. It's not exactly the same. But the amount of variance is so small that you know the general clusters of players and exactly where they're going to go. This group will go here. Yeah, once in a blue moon, you'll see, you know, Kawhi will go at 16 instead of between 25 and 35. And once in a blue moon, you'll see someone like Donovan Mitchell fall into the mid-40s instead of going in the 30s, where it seems like he's kind of landing here post-trade. But you have an idea. You have a very good idea of where these guys are going. So as much as I know you all want to hear how the beginning of a mock went, because those are the biggest names, everybody's trying to figure out who their pairings are in the first and second round, all of that good stuff... The more important stuff in mocks right now is seeing where competitive mock drafters are taking the less powerful names throughout the rest of the draft, and then is there any sort of trend in that movement? Because Yahoo didn't redo their board. Their board's the same as it was yesterday, same as the day before that. There has not been an adjustment to the X ranks again. And frankly, I don't care about their projections being changed because that doesn't really do anything. 
ADPs are going to continually slowly shift. Giannis and Joel Embiid are flipping back and forth in three and four. Trey and Steph are basically deadlocked at six and seven. James Harden moves in front of LaMelo at, you know, 10 and 11 or 11 and 12, whatever the hell that is right now. These little baby adjustments in ADPs, they don't really mean anything. They're fun to look at, but they're inconsequential to us. We now know, to within some sort of reasonable doubt, roughly where guys are going to go in the first 30, 35, 40 slots. We know it. There is going to be some changes in there, as I've already said, but we have a very good idea. What we don't really know is, as you get towards the middle rounds even, certainly the late rounds, like, look at a buzzy name like Alperin Shengun, for instance. I think he's a good example of this, because his ADP is still 80. We've watched as it's been on the move, as it's kind of followed his X-rank adjustment. His X-rank is 69 right now. I've seen him go in drafts as early as about 40 late 40s, and I've seen him fall as late as 90s. What does that mean, though? Well, from an analysis standpoint, sure, we can look at it and say, okay, well, where is too early? Where is too late? Where is their value with someone like that who has this type of widespread? More importantly, for your draft day strategy, now you know he's not a safe, quote-unquote, he'll-make-it-back-to-me guy starting at basically the beginning of the fifth round. Even though his X rank is near the end of the sixth round, we're seeing him go as early as the end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth, and as late as like mid-eighth. And he's not the only one. Yes, there are plenty of guys with an X rank between 50 and 100 that are actually going relatively close to where their X rank is. They tend to be a little bit towards the front end of that. Like, front end of the X ranks here, CJ McCollum, yeah, his X rank is 51. He's probably going to go between 50 and 60. OG Ananobi, same kind of story. Brandon Ingram, Desmond Bain, Christian Wood, who I don't really trust that much. That's not to say he's not going to have a good year. There's just a little more volatile as a fantasy asset. John Collins, Yusuf Nurkic, those guys tend to go somewhat close to their X rank. And then the farther you get down the board, the bigger the spread tends to be. D'Angelo Russell has an X rank of 61. You almost never see him go in front of that, but you know I've seen him go as late as mid-80s. Tobias Harris, sometimes he goes at 60, sometimes he goes at 80. Julius Randle, sometimes he goes at 60, sometimes he goes at 100. Jakob Pertl actually tends to go pretty close to that 68 X rank. Same with Jalen Green, Wendell Carter Jr., Jalen Brunson, Keldon Johnson, Clint Capella. These guys are still kind of going near their X rank, but there are a bunch of players mixed in there that have that 25, 35, 45 pick spread on where they're going in drafts. And the reason to run mock drafts right now is to find out if there's any kind of solidifying of where those guys are trending. Is Alperin Sengun going to be more towards the front end of that window more regularly now, or is it still bouncing all over the map? By the way, as of right now, it does still kind of seem to be bouncing all over the map. So, as we pivot into Happy Mock Day here, understanding why we're doing all of this stuff is actually just as important as what we take away from it. The mock from yesterday 
And I'll do this. I'll, I'll do it in chronological order on, the, on today's show because screw it, might as well. I don't think there's any great way to organize these thoughts. Three mocks altogether chronologically. First of all, hi, everybody. Um, this is Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. I'm Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter. I know there are new of you listeners out there. I know it because I can see listenership numbers trending back in the, oh, people are paying, to ba- paying attention to basketball again part of the proceeding. So welcome in if you're new, welcome back if you're old and you're just looping back around to join us. Prepare yourself for the season. I can see it through uh, how many people are visiting Sports Ethos on a given day that maybe it's because Atlanta has their media day today. I don't know, but it seems like the 25-day warning to the start of the NBA season is when people really woke up. We had like this like medium-sized bump right after Labor Day, and now I think we're getting ready for another one of those really big, oh, hello, basketball kind of bumps. So again, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I'm going to have additional thoughts on these mock drafts over on Twitter. I do answer a lot of questions on Twitter. We do game recaps. We do all sorts of fun stuff over there. And I hope to continue our chat post-show over on social media. I have more things to tell you about over at Sports Ethos, but we'll save that in between some of our discussions. So the first mock that I ran yesterday was with Twitter friends, but also I think a few randoms that kind of parachuted in out of the sky at the last minute or nabbed a couple of spots, or maybe they were Twitter folks that abandoned ship. But we had most, we had mostly decent participation for the first four to five rounds of this one, and, uh, and then Autodraft sent it off the rails. So again, I don't want to focus a ton on how the beginning of the draft is going, other than a couple of little notes. All three of the drafts that I parachuted into were roto drafts, because that's generally the leagues I'm preparing for. We will do some head-to-head stuff as well, but with Roto, you're thinking games cap, so injury-prone players don't tend to fall as far. To that end, in this first draft we did yesterday, Kawhi Leonard went at 15. That's the earliest I think I've seen him go in any draft that we've done so far, and frankly, that's actually a tiny bit risky that early. I know I've said nothing but great things about Kawhi Leonard on this podcast, but that's because his ADP was in the mid-30s, where you're basically taking a swing, and it's almost impossible to miss, provided he doesn't take off more than, like, 40 games this year, because you're talking about a guy who's probably a mid-to-late first-round per-gamer who's going to miss a ton of ball games, and so then, you know, by totals, he falls back a little bit, which means second round, which is where he got taken here, you're probably kind of a push mid-to-second round, Late second round, probably about as bad as it gets. Third round, it's just, it's easy. But early second round, I don't really know what we're doing here because that's a guy where you take a shot that he gets back to you. Especially considering how many other guys were on the board at this point. Also of note in this particular draft, James Harden went fourth overall. That's probably about as early as we've seen him go. But despite his ADP sitting in that 10 range, and despite this being a nine-category league, Harden's a guy that just keep slowly moving up the real board. He's not going near 10 in most drafts. He's going near 6 or 7 in most of the ones that I've seen, kind of right behind the Jokic, Durant, Embiid, uh, Giannis, Luka contingent that always seems to make up that first grouping. And then it's typically Harden. So don't expect him to fall towards the end of the first round if you were thinking that might happen 
likelihood is perhaps a little bit smaller. Tyrese Halliburton's another guy that's been moving up the board basically everywhere you've looked, and we're probably hitting the point where we've priced him out in a lot of spots. He's now going at the very beginning of the second round on a team that, in my eyes, is likely to tank at some point this year because they got some decent draft picks, but, you know, we've got this Wembenyama thing coming up. And, you know, that team's just not going to win very many ball games, and guys are still on the trade block. Even if they come out and say Miles Turner's their, their you know, opening day center, you're looking at a team that's very similar to what they had last year and lost a lot of ball games, and also now without Malcolm Brogdon, who, I mean, look, dude missed half the season anyway, but still. Those are the only real notes in the early rounds from this particular mock draft. What I do want to look at uh, quickly here is the third and fourth round before people decided to abandon ship on it. Uh, Zion went in the middle of the third round. I think this feels more anomalous than anything else. I wouldn't put a ton of stock in it. Darius Garland went in the third as well. Donovan Mitchell still went in the second. So that type of stuff is indeed still happening here. If you go into a draft and you think these guys are definitely going to fall a little bit, that's not necessarily set in stone because in every draft, X-Rank is going to play a role. And right now, those guys are still in the right around 20. So yeah, someone, some ones, two, three teams might pass over them, but not everybody. Someone's going to kind of loop back around to it. Freddie Van Fleet went middle of the third round. He's someone that, that it seemed like perhaps was starting to go a tiny bit earlier. He did not in this one, and that's good. Jimmy Butler went at the end of the third round. He's like sort of a Kawhi Leonard light experience as far as take a beat-up old guy that's going super-duper low. Round four, Scotty Barnes was the first one off the board in round four. So he's a guy that does seem to be trending up a little bit. Uh, Brandon Ingram went early in round four as well. That was somewhat surprising. Kristaps Porzingis, middle of the round. He's also trending the right way in Roto, despite all of the injury stuff surrounding his deal. Interestingly, despite all the names that got passed over and or didn't, Shea Gilgis-Alexander fell in the middle of the fourth round. So the fear hanging around his start of the season stuff now, it actually did have an impact on this draft, even though uh, the X-Rank hasn't been fully adjusted yet. Same deal uh, with Robert Williams. His X-Rank is still 36. Shays is still 30. Um, but people were wise enough. Again, this was before everybody abandoned the draft to push those guys down the board just a little bit. Bradley Beal towards the end of the fourth round, just something to sort of put in the back of your brain. And that's as far as we'll go on that particular draft because then people started dropping out. Uh and a lot of guys ended up getting autoed towards the fifth, sixth round. And then, you know, you start to get players that you wouldn't normally get later because teams are taking dudes that are just at the top of the X rank board. So that was the first one. The second one was another I'm dropping in. This one actually was a full I'm dropping in out of the sky kind of draft. And this one was just hot garbage. I want to spend very little time on this. This draft had three auto-drafters by the third round, and it had six by the fifth round. So we learned almost nothing from this draft other than, once again, Harden went fifth. That is becoming a trend. Someone took Darius Garland at 14, but I think we can also kind of write that off as a, a one-off type of deal. Anthony Edwards, middle of the second round. Udi Gobert actually went towards the end of the second round in this particular draft. 
but I'm not putting a ton of stock in this one. I mean, this like the number of teams that dropped out was quick. It was large and quick. So I really think the only thing that you can reliably take away from this, you know, I dropped into a random mock draft. And again, you got to be so careful with this type of stuff because there are a lot of folks out there that are dropping into these types of mock drafts and they're coming away with like eight of the 10 guys they were targeting and thinking, I'm golden. And then they're going to get into a draft of people that are actually paying even a modicum of attention and they're going to get steamrolled. These drafts are actually more harmful than they are useful. But what are you going to do? Four or five teams auto-drafting? That's just not reality. You might have one in your league. If there's cash on the line, you probably have zero. For most of it, at least. And if someone's auto-drafting, they probably set a giant queue beforehand. They're like, oh, I'm crap, I can't make that draft time. I'm going to set my draft board. So, yeah, like... You know, the fact that I was getting, who the hell did I, like, anybody that I wanted in this, I could have gotten. Anybody. Larry Markin went at the end of the 10th round. He went at pick 120 in this draft. That's just not going to happen in real life. No one was paying attention by then. Brutal. So throw it out. If you drop into a random and there are four or five teams auto-drafting, throw it out. In fact, look at the results and say, this is actually detrimental to my prep for draft day. I'm working against myself. Work smarter, not harder. Very quickly here, I want to remind you all, the Brewski 150 is coming. It's coming. Oh, yes. Five days from now, it goes into the Ethos 360 subscription package. By the way, that gets you the Fantasy Pass and the DFS pass, and the wager pass. All of that. Ethos 360 is basically the everything. That's our big, big bundle here at Sports Ethos. And that's why you also get the B-150 before anybody else on planet Earth. By a lot. I think it's five days before the old school bundle gets it, and then another five days before the fantasy pass gets it. And I got a more comprehensive list. I was looking back at last year at the things that the B-150 had out in front of other lists. So I was like, look, what did we actually get away from this thing last year? Which, by the way, look, we'll come right out and say it. Last year was not the best season for the B-150. We're honest about that sort of stuff. And it still thumped the competition. Even on kind of like a meh year. But the wins were still ridiculous. Tyrese Halliburton. Everybody that had the B-150 ended up with Tyrese Halliburton on their fantasy team. That was like the one main dude where we all got him. We targeted. That was a targeted... You know, I don't target guys all that much, but we're talking through that one, and then you got a first rounder probably in the fifth round. DeJounte Murray, first rounder in the fourth round for B-150 subs. Mikael Bridges, second rounder in probably the sixth or seventh round. Terry Rozier, what was he by totals by the end of the year? I think he was a second rounder by totals last year. Got him in probably the 6th or 7th round. Those are crazy wins. And they weren't limited to just those guys. Jonas Valanciunas, who I talked about a lot on this podcast last season. So, again, that was one that you guys got as a winner right here without the B-150. He was a 3rd rounder. And he was going, where? 60, 60 to 70 range? So, sure, let's say that, you know, Bridges was already off the board. You went Valanciunas, who was, what, 3 slots later? 
in overall value. Jakob Pertl, another big winner from the B-150 last year, especially as he cranked it up with the season going along. I actually don't know where he ended up by totals. I know by averages he was like around 60, but man, did he finish strong. Gary Trent Jr. just obliterated his ADP. JJJ was another name that we had on this show. Actually, Trent kind of was also. Devin Booker. I was against him on that one, and uh, I lost in that particular battle. I don't lose every head-to-head battle with Brew. When I first started here, I lost every single one. Now it's a little, a little closer. A little closer. Not that close. Still a little closer. But think about that. I mentioned, I think, yesterday on the show that like, if you went with the biggest attack points from the B-150 last year, first, second, third rounds, you were drafting yourself. Let's say you just did fine and you got a first rounder, a second rounder, and a third rounder. You could have added a first rounder in the fourth in Halliburton, a first rounder in the fifth in DeJounte Murray, a second rounder in the sixth in Terry Rozier, and a second rounder in the seventh in Mikel Bridges, or flip those two if you wanted. So after seven rounds, you might have ended up with three firsts, three seconds, and a third rounder. And oh no, let's say one of those guys was off the board. Heaven forbid you had to end up with JV instead. You got an extra third rounder out of it. So that was even in a meh year. The B-150 crushed. And you can get it again this season at Sports Ethos. I would say go do it. Fantasy Pass gets it in 15 days. Old School Bundle in 10. Ethos 360 get it in 5 days. Mm-mm-mm. That's your promo for today. The last mock I want to talk about is the one that I think actually gave us the most information. And I know that at the beginning of these shows, I dive into the theory a little bit more than other podcasts. That's just the way it is at this point. You know, like, if you guys don't know that about me, well, it's too late for you. It's too late. Because that's just how we operate on this show. This is, always has been, and will always be, a teaching podcast. My goal in this show is not just for us to win fantasy leagues together. Now, obviously, I want that to be the case, and I hope that overall we do. We haven't really had what you'd call a true down year for the old man squad because it's really hard for those guys to have an overall down year. This season, the old men drafted near the turn didn't work out, and still things went okay. That's about as bad as it's going to get, though. But, I mean, look, if you didn't get stuck with the 11th or the 12th pick, then you were fine. Regardless, my hope is that at the end of every season, you can look back at hanging out with me on this show and think, I am now much better at playing fantasy basketball. I'm better at acquiring news. I'm better at processing news. I'm better at evaluating talent. I'm better at evaluating short versus long-term bursts of players. I'm better at streaming strategy. I'm better at roto ROI stuff. I'm better at creating trades. I want us to all be just getting better. At the end of a year of this show, I want you guys to pause and think, could I do this on my own now? And think, and the answer I want to be, yeah, probably, but screw it. I'll just keep listening to Dan anyway. That's that's my perfect world. So that's why we spent seven, eight minutes at the beginning of the show talking about, like, when is a mock draft actually bad? Well, the good news is this mock draft isn't bad because 11 of the 12 teams were pretty damn well locked in most of the way through, and we got some information out of it. First and foremost, 
The first round, James Harden went at 9, which is about as late as we've seen him go lately. That's the name I'm watching in the first round. Everybody else is in their typical spots. Every once in a while, there's a discrepancy. Cat went earlier in this one. He went at 4. Okay, you know, whatever there. But Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, KD, Luka tend to be somewhat near the top. Steph, Tatum, those types of guys, they go in that middle chunk. Tyrese Halliburton went at 14. That's a name we've been watching just to see what the trend line is there, and it continues to be up. Darius Garland still went middle of the second round. Thought that was somewhat interesting for this draft, so maybe he's not going to slip as far as we thought in the aftermath of the trade, although I wouldn't take him in the middle of the second round. Kawhi Leonard went as the ninth pick in the second round. So again, Roto Games Cap formats... He's just not going mid-third. If you have, like, the fourth pick in your draft, you probably have to take Kawhi coming back in the second round. Odds are he's not going to be there for you as the fourth pick in the third round. John Morant slipped into the third here. I think that'll keep happening more and more as we get closer to our actual draft days. DeJounte Murray, early third. He actually goes back to being a little bit of a value there, so that's cool. No other huge surprises in the third round. Donovan Mitchell, by the way, went at 36. If we're tracking where he's going here before Yahoo does their adjustments. Shea at 37. That might have been an auto. I'm not positive. That might have been the one auto. If you're watching Scotty Barnes, he was the fifth pick in the fourth round. uh, Which I believe makes him, what, pick 41? Did I get that right? That's a name you're seeing generally on the rise. Robert Williams, end of the fourth round. He'll continue to go lower and lower. That's too early still, by the way. The amount of games he's likely to miss this season. We need him to go a little bit later than that. And then we'll start to consider it. But okay, now you move towards the fifth and later. And this is where I want to slow our analysis down just a little bit. Because as I was mentioning earlier in the show, this is where you start to see that Big berth, the wide discrepancy in where players come off the board. Not quite as much in the fifth round as you get later on. But yes, by this point, by roughly pick 50, you don't know exactly who's coming off the board. And you no longer can play the game we always like to play, which is how do I get the most number of my guys coming back? Many of you are going to recognize what I'm about to say because it's a discussion we've had before, but I think it bears repeating. Early in drafts, a lot of the battle is figuring out what player might get back to you. If you're on the turn, that's not a battle you really can bother waging because the answer is nobody is getting back to you. But if you're in the middle of a round, if you're sort of semi-middle, you know, anything between like pick three and pick nine pick ten whatever like there's a couple on either side of you okay early in a draft remember we've talked about this before like maybe there's player a who you think is going to finish at you know number nine and player b that you think is going to finish at number 12 but player b tends to go earlier than player nine in a lot of drafts That leaves you in a spot where you're like, okay, my pick just came up. Do I take player B because he won't get back to me? Or do I take player A 
because I think this player will finish at the slightly higher rank. Some of the time, the answer is take player B, because that gives you a chance to get both of those guys. Because player A might still get back to you. If you took player A first, you don't get player B. And then by your next pick, let's say the next guy on your board, you have ranked at like number 14 or 15. Okay, so those two scenarios, you either end up with your number 9 and your number 15, or your number, what did I say, 12 and number 9. That is obviously the preferred spot. You want the two, the better combo. 9 and 12 as opposed to 9 and 15. And that, early in a draft, all comes down to understanding who might loop back around to you at your next pick, so then you can decide in order. But, by the fifth round, or by the sixth, if you want to call it that, you no longer really have the luxury of trying to figure out who might get back to you. At that point, you pretty much just take the player that you have with the higher finish at the end of a season. Again, the caveat being, like, make sure you're not pick one, pick two, pick 11, or pick 12, because in those spots, yeah, there's a chance the other guy you're looking at does get back to you. But if you have, again, like the eighth pick, and you're the eighth pick of the fifth round, I'm lost track numerically what that puts you. I think that's pick 56. So that brings you with the fifth pick coming back in the next one. That's pick 65. That's just too much to worry about. Because the guys on your board in between, sure, like you might want to take the guy that has a slightly lower chance of making it back to you, but if you lose out on the other guy you're targeting, you might have to work your way down the board. A lot of slots may be gone already. Whereas, like at the top, we're talking about 9 and 12 or 9 and 15. This might be, oh, here's the guy that I have ranked 27th. And then the next guy that's still available, I have ranked like 41st. So sure, maybe you take the 41st ranked guy because he has the higher or the earlier ADP. But if you lose out on your 27th ranked guy and the next dude on your board is like 49 or 52 well that's not as good that's too big of a drop off and too big of a risk to take because now the combinations you're looking at are 27 and 41 or whatever the hell I said versus 41 and 53 or 27 and 53 because of the gap you need to make sure you end up with that guy that you have ranked 27th in this particular scenario. Player A versus player B versus player C. They're not close enough where the risk you're taking of player A not getting back to you is worth it. It's not worth it anymore. So once you get to round five, whenever your turn comes up, you just go take the guy you want. And that's what a lot of teams are doing at this point anyway without really thinking it through in that same mathematical way. They're just doing it here because that just feels right. And you know what? Damn it. They're right to do it that way. You take the guy that feels right. Now, preferably, we've done more prep work than these other teams. We're not just taking a guy because they feel right. We're taking them because we've done a whole bunch of work. We've projected things out. And so this is where we have them as the winning selection. So now we can quickly move from rounds 5 through 10 and let you know where a couple of guys were going and if there's any kind of trend line in that direction. Clay Thompson went in the middle of the fifth round. I've never seen that before. I think we can throw that small result out. 
Miles Turner also went in the middle of the fifth round. He's a guy that I think typically goes earlier anyway, so I'm also going to kind of dump this one. Alperin Shengun went at the 11th pick of the fifth round, which is pretty much where he's going. But with that big variance, is this where he lands? Does it start to settle a little bit around pick 60, which again, this is before his X rank, but is there enough buzz there that he's going to consistently go between 50 and 70 as opposed to post X rank, meaning later than Yahoo has him on the board? I know you're saying, why do you keep quoting Yahoo? Well, that's where the mock was, so that's the board that everybody was looking at. So that's a really important one. Not that we need Alperin Shengun on our teams. Like I've said, I like his fantasy game. I think we're maybe a little early on him here. Just not draft-wise. I mean, in actual chronological time-wise, I think we're a little early to go this bananas for him, and I think he probably finishes the year really nicely, but there's going to be some growing pain stuff. Jalen Brunson, second pick of the sixth round, so that's pick 62. He's been trending up. Does that kind of rebound back down the board a little bit? Keldon Johnson is someone that I do like a lot, and he went mid-sixth round. His X rank, I think, is towards the end of the sixth round. He's a guy that you might even consider at the end of the fifth. Certainly, if he gets to you early in the sixth, you just do it. Franz Wagner, middle of the sixth round here. Um, he's another guy that's been flying up boards. I'm a little worried that it's going to start going too early with him. I think a lot of the young guys in Orlando actually play 75 games this year. That's a team to me that looks like they're going to try to win a few, so there might be a little durability bounce for some of these dudes. Uh, but I, are think, I do think we're starting to price him out just a little bit. Where are we at here with this one? Mid-60s? Ugh. I really would rather him get into the late 70s to 80s. It's probably not going to happen, but it's what I want, damn it. So I'll blow out somebody else's birthday candles and make a wish, because Lord knows mine ain't coming anytime soon. I might wish my birthday. My birthday's not for a while. Who else is interesting here? Uh, Jamal Murray went um, mid to late 6. That's earlier than we've been seeing him go off the board. Notable. Because, again, I think with Roto, that's something that might pop up and not a guy that you can just casually count on you falling into the eighth round. It's not necessarily going to happen. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., on the other hand, we're talking about some of these Denver guys, he actually went in the middle of the seventh round, and typically that's been reversed. Devin Vassell went middle of the seventh round, as did Colin Sexton. Um, Very curious to see... Where those guys end up, Sexton here post-trade, we've seen him go as early as about 75, which is not that far, actually, from where he went in this one. I think this puts him at, what, 81? It's a little bit back of that. Vassell at 80. Vassell will probably be better than that, by the way. So that's another name that, again, like if you're targeting guys at this point, you just go do it. There's still a lot of really safe names on the board, so that's going to make it tougher to make that transition. But you're really... You're running out in a competitive mock draft here. You're running out of the really safe names by about pick 80. There are a few mixed in there. You know, you've still got Marcus Smart on the board. You've still got Mitchell Robinson, Wendell Carter Jr. Al Horford is still floating around. Gary Trent. There's still a few, but now we're talking one, maybe less than two handfuls of very safe 
reasonable players. And I get it. Here's the other part of this. Well, let me get through a couple more names, then I want to loop back to why it's hard to make some of these slightly riskier decisions. Uh, First of all, Larry Markkinen went at the end of the eighth round in the 90s. I actually think that's likely to be a bit of a steal for him on a roto side. There will be some games off on head-to-head. Utah's not going to be pushing anybody. Uh, Jalen Smith went near the end of the eighth. Isaiah Jackson near the end of the ninth. Markel Fultz, mid-nine. JJJ went mid-nine. That wasn't one that I was planning on bringing up, but interested where, where that goes. But here's the thing. Coming back to the point I wanted to make before. It's hard to say, okay, uh, I'm just wrong choice of words. It's harder, not just hard. It's harder when you've built a show, and this is a more personal statement. (laughs) I'm trying to get into college. A personal statement here, huh? It's harder when you've built a show around drafting the boring safe guys to pivot on that strategy at a specific point in a draft. But it's something that we need to do arguably more this year than in seasons past. And I'll tell you why. And then I'll tell you also why. I'll tell you why it's harder. I'll tell you why we need to do it this year. And then I'll mention some of the potential outcomes here. Why do we need to do that in general? Well, this is a part in a draft where the old falling guys have a certain amount of upside that you already know. Kyle Lowry, who was the fourth pick in the ninth round here, that's pick 100, right on the schnozzeroo. You know what his upside is. He's not going to be any better than a top 70 per game fantasy player this year. That's like, he's old now. And yes, drafting that 100... He's almost definitely going to beat that on a per-game basis, so that makes him a really easy pick at pick 100. But let's say that for this example, Markkinen was still there also at pick 100. He wasn't. He went off five picks before that, but whatever. Let's say Lowry was still on the board there. Lowry Markkinen's in a weird situation on a weird new team where he is the... uh, unimpeded power forward because Boyan Bogdanovich is gone now. Maybe he doesn't beat Kyle Lowry on a per-game basis. Yeah, maybe the floor falls out on Markkinen. We've seen weird stuff happen with him. He sort of got his brain smushed by Jim Boylan in Chicago. Odds are he's fine in Utah. Odds are he's fine. But why go that route instead of the safe one? Well, I'll tell you, because if you miss out on Kyle Lowry and he does coast along at a 70-75 clip for whatever number of games he plays this year, yeah, okay, you know, that was a small win. That's a base hit to left field that you missed out on. But what if Markinen hits? And I'm just using these players as an example of slight uncertainty versus almost no uncertainty. If Markinen hits... He could be a top 50 type of guy. We don't know how many games he's going to play. Same issue with Kyle Lowry where you don't exactly know the game's played number. But now you take a little bit of a power hack and maybe you whack a double into the gap. And sure, you miss out again. You give up the single to left field 
you hand it back in. It's like a game show now a little bit. You hand it back in for the opportunity to go for more, to let it ride a little bit. And it's not easy because we've built this podcast on the platform of taking the obvious wins. But that's something that you really need to be focusing on in the first three to four rounds. The obvious wins come early. Because you can lose a draft early, but you can't really win it. Where you can win your draft is in the fourth, fifth, maybe not the fourth as much, but fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, maybe eighth rounds. That's where you can win it. It's these guys where you're debating between a solid single or a home run hack. The beauty is, if you whiff on your sixth round pick, your team will likely still be fine. Because you got decent knocks in the first four or five rounds. And hell, maybe you come in with a big knock, or a double, or a triple, or even a home run in the seventh, eighth, or ninth. Your team will not survive taking a goose egg in the first round. Your team will have a lot of trouble surviving a goose egg in the second round. Your team will be fine with a goose egg in the seventh. Even the sixth. Even the fifth, honestly. First, second, those will kill you. Third, you're going to have some uphill work to do, but you could survive. Fourth, same general story. Fifth, sixth, you'll actually be okay. Particularly on the Roto side, because if it's a games played issue, you can survive that too. But those are your opportunities to take those home run hacks You built your safe foundation. Now, go for the gusto. So take the Vassell or the Markinen or whatever player you're like, this dude, maybe things go right, and you're looking at top 50 per game, and if you get durability, you blow past that, and pass up on the Clint Capella. Sorry, Clint. I actually like you fine going in the 80 range this year. You're a very safe single in the 80s. But... Let's go for the double. Let's go for the homer in the 6th, 7th, 8th rounds this year. So that's why it's hard for us specifically to preach that because it feels almost counterintuitive to the strategy we've been talking about for years on this show, which is take the easy wins. But again, as with all roto drafts, there is a point where you must pivot from totals to per-game upside. And I would argue it's earlier than ever especially if you're in a competitive league, and especially because you don't really know where these guys are going to go. I've talked about Brandon Clark a lot, and I've probably destroyed his ADP as a result. And to, for everybody listening to the show, I apologize because I've talked about him on other podcasts, and I, I screwed it up. His, his, his X rank was like 140, and then they moved him up into the 80s or 90s. But if you want to go get him in the 70s, I'm fine with that. Go get your guy. If you like Vassell or Keldon Johnson or Brandon Clark or some other young dude or an Indiana young guy or whatever young dudes we're talking about here, if you think, think Jalen Brunson goes buck wild in New York, I'm, not, I'm a little capped on that one. If you're into Franz Wagner, whoever it might be, once your fifth, sixth round pick rolls around, fifth might be a hair early because there are still some like really exciting upside guys that also have that where like the floor is a solid base hit, but then there's double or triple upside. But once you get to the sixth, 
there just aren't guys where you both have the solid base hit floor and the home run upside. It's one or the other. Do you want D'Angelo Russell? Not really. He's a terrible example. Do you want Mikael Bridges? He's like a double floor, but there's no home run upside there. You know what it's going to be. His upside is durability. I love Mikael Bridges, and I would absolutely take him in the sixth round 100 days out of 100 days. But what if, what if I'm in this, like, what if, what if we're debating between someone who has home run upside? What if you're debating between Jakob Pertl, who I really like a lot? He has a solid base hit floor, but not much in the way of home run upside. I actually like him a lot. I'm, I'm like denigrating all these players that I really want to have on my fantasy team. All I'm saying is if it gets to your turn in the late sixth round and you're like, bleep it. I want one of these Spurs or Pacers or whatever young player that I think is going to go crazy this year or not. This isn't even me handicapping these, these, these guys. This is just me giving you the Dan Basper seal of approval to get wild earlier than ever. Remember how we used to talk about old uh, the uh, no man's land starting at pick 75? I think it's pick 65 this year. I think it's the earliest it's ever been. And another reason that that's happened is that in years past, there have been a lot of old, guy, old man squad guys with double floor, meaning double down the line, a gapper, like medium-sized win floor in the 45 to 65 range. And this year, those guys aren't really there anymore. They're above it. And then there's a bunch of dudes below it that all have that base hit to left, the solid single floor. We'll do the old man squad list, and those guys will be there if you want them. Marcus Smart, Al Horford, all these names we already just mentioned five minutes ago. Clint Capella. List goes on and on of the solid base hit. Kyle Lowry, guys that are all in that 75 to 105 range. But now you're debating between those guys and the home run hack. I say go with the home run hack. And also have a wonderful weekend. I am Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Happy Mock Day, everyone. We'll loop back around on Monday, probably start to some, uh, talk to some of the pros, both internally here at Sports Ethos and in our industry pro mock, which has now finally weaved its way to the end of the 11th round. So there's just one round left. That'll be done before Friday is over. And uh, then we can start breaking that down as well. Again, have a delightful weekend. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Drop a five-star review on the pod if you haven't already. Follow me on Twitter. Go to sportsethos.com. Get yourself a pass to the Brewski 150. Let's crush it together. So long, everybody.